Based on a book of the same name, 1982's The Entity tells the disturbing and harrowing tale of a single mother and her quest to understand a series of paranormal rapes that she's subjected to. Serving as both a disturbing paranormal thriller as well as a parable for victim-blaming rape culture, The Entity has sparked many a controversy since its release. And while the subject matter remains a raw nerve for many, I still find the film to be a horrifying tour de force with a prevalent social commentary that is only strengthened with age. Boasting one of my favorite horror movie scores done by the illustrious Charles Bernstein with practical effects by Stan Winston, The Entity is a forgotten undercover gem worthy of critical analysis. And we break it all down next on Midnight Flicks. of existence and we as human beings inhabit only one what happened to you guys last night anyway i was attacked is this the first time something like this has ever happened no things have come to me in the night why do i see and feel these things some things are more terrible than other things. And he felt like a man? A big man. But when my son came in, there was nobody there. He evaporated. That's classic poltergeist activity. You know, there was a time when people believed in the supernatural. These ghosts and demons were only ideas but people saw them. You think I'm insane? First, we have to find out what the problem is. In the meantime, I'll be dead. He's stronger than you are. He'll kill me if he has to. Isn't it possible that some entity has crossed into our plane of existence? There was somebody there. I couldn't see him with my eyes, but there was somebody there. appear to us now. It's my decision. What, to stay sick? To stay alive. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell. Joining me, as always, on the cinematic expedition is Adam Walker. Adam... How are you, buddy? Uh, I'm okay. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm entering some weird phase of quarantine now where uh, I'm not depressed, but my motivation is like has dwindled to, to, to zero. 
I don't even consider this quarantine anymore. It's just, it's just everyday life. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is, well, I got up the other day or no, it was before I went to bed actually. And was talking to my partner and I was just like talking about doing stuff and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. This is, this is life now. <laughs> Nothing matters anymore. Yeah. I'm still, I, I still don't feel bad about this at all. I'm, I'm fine monetarily uh, like we're still safe but you know um our ui extensions that we were uh gifted uh will uh, you know theoretically evaporate here in a couple weeks yeah yeah it's gonna get scary for some here coming yeah. up yeah yeah well i mean it's i mean it's been scary for a lot of people already we were we were some of the fortunate ones to be safe for so long but now you know, it's entering a phase of uncertainty for us. So I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, I guess we'll have to start looking for some sort of work because our, our places of employment aren't anywhere near opening up. So yeah, I'm lucky but, enough to have, well, both my wife and I are both working still and nothing's really changed on that end other than <laughs> just working from home and watching kids at the same time, which is whatever at this point i don't even i don't even all days mesh together and i get both things done and it's it's been lovely to bond with my daughter there. yeah no positive sure it's i'm sure you, you know again for those of us that have that have had the luxury and privilege to be you know more or less safer in this it's it's probably been a positive thing all in all um you know, I, I hate to trivialize or in any way downplay the horrors that is being beset on millions of others uh, around us. But again, you know, some of us have been fortunate. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like from what I gather, aside from a little bit of fallout, I mean, things are OK in Indiana. Is that what I've heard? Yeah. Well, um, I'm not sure if this is the most reliable uh, statistic, <laughs> but I saw a it was it was posted for all 32 or like 32 every NFL team, and it said like the cases in those cities, uh, like you know, on a sliding scale of worst city, worst NFL cities to uh, most safe NFL cities, and Indianapolis was in the top three safest. It was like yeah. at the very bottom of the list. Miami's at the top. And then at the very bottom, and it's like Indianapolis. I can't remember the other teams, but I would, <laughs> I saw that and was like, wow, well, we must be doing pretty good then. I don't know, but nothing's leveling. Nothing. I mean, just cause it's not increasing and just cause you're maintaining the same numbers, that's not improvement by any means, but. Right. Well, and to me, it was just kind of like, <laughs> You know, no disrespect, because I know you're still a Hoosier, and I don't try to uh, bandy any coastal elitism, because I still love my home state. But, Here we go. Know, nor normally, that I'm like, it's changed, Adam. Indiana fucks up a lot. It seems like this is one thing that maybe that hasn't gone terribly wrong. I don't know. <laughs> who Who knows why? But <laughs> we're not a we're not one of the worst. So. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. But um, I'm just I'm glad that pretty much everyone I know out there has been safe as far as I can tell. Yeah, absolutely. We're just chilling. 
Um, speaking of abject horror, ah. let's get into what is one of the strangest things we've done, which is two Barbara Hershey movies in a row. Yeah, back to back. <laughs> I did not mean to pick two, two Barbara Hershey movies. And actually, when I picked Falling Down and then I picked this, I until I started watching The Entity, I almost had completely forgotten that Barbara Hershey was the lead role. So um, two Barbara Hershey movies in a row, which in a row, which I think is lovely because I, I actually think Barbara Hershey is just wonderful. I was just going to say it's because you have, you have a subconscious boner for Barbara Hershey. I, yes, there's Hershey chocolate all over my fucking face. I'm just (laughs) eat the goddamn Hershey up. Um, but Right off the top, as we have crowned our newest segment, um, this is another movie of which that, well, yeah, it's a movie you haven't seen, correct? You didn't, hadn't seen this before? I didn't want to assume. No, Maybe yeah. while you were watching it that you just, that you were like, oh, wait, I have seen this. I didn't know. No, no. That one, for sure, it was a movie that's, it's it's a legendary movie for a lot of reasons and I had always been meaning to see it. It was, it's, it's always been a taboo movie in a lot of ways, especially when you're younger and you, you know, you're getting into horror and you're, you're testing the waters of, you know, what's the real scary shit, you know, and obviously the exorcist is one of them. And, you know, but this is one of those movies that people will tell you like, Oh man, it's, it's real hard to watch. It's terrifying. And I just, for whatever reason or another, had never gotten around to it. This, you know, there, there's, there's crucial as, as much as I have, um, you know, I've been a glutton of media and movies for as long as I have, there are some pretty glaring, um, lapses in some of the hits that I have. And this is one of them. For I, sure. see, so I, I would disagree. I wouldn't say that this is a glare. I, I feel like not that many people have actually watched or know about this. I don't ever, all the horror conventions that I go to and all the, all the just discussions I've had with different people. This one seems to be a movie that slips through a lot of people's hands. Like I, like if you were like, Hey, I, I've never seen, um, you know, all of the shining or whatever. I think that's like, that's glaring obviously, but this seems, this movie is fairly undercover for whatever reason. And I think the most obvious being how graphic it is. Uh, I think it slipped under a lot of people's radar, but um, I'm very interested to hear, and this will be good moving forward because it's a movie that I, I blind, I, I blind bought this movie years ago. Um, just <laughs> saw it and bought it. Um, and was blown away by it because usually blind buys can go uh, all sorts of different directions. But um, that was my first experience with it. And I've since watched it several times, but right off the top, I'm so curious to hear what your thoughts were, or your initial thoughts upon seeing it for the first time. Uh, well, real quick too, I'm going to put a pin in this uh, because you mentioned the shining off the mic. I have something to talk to you about in regards to that. Um, the Shining but, specifically? Well, related to The Shining. We'll get to it, though. But I just want to... You're going to keep wanna, me waiting? Yeah, well, because obviously if I talk about it now, then I'm going to have to fucking edit it all out. <laughs> mm. well, <laughs> we're already going to have to edit it all out. We're, look, we're already... We're already... Ah, okay, that's fine. 
No, I'm going to leave this in, but I'm just telling you for now. Uh, okay, so uh, my thoughts off the top. Um, if I would have seen this when I was younger, it would have been a pretty terrifying affair in a lot of ways. I mean, as scared as I could get, you know, watching any horror movies or disturbed. Um, I thought it was overall a well-made film. Um, it didn't blow me away by any stretch of the imagination. And I definitely had some, some criticisms of the plot and even some of the, the compositional, like the music compositional devices used. Um, but overall it was an enjoyable film and yeah, I mean, it's, it's at times kind of tough to watch. It's very, you know, I'm sure for, you know, um, abuse survivors, it's, it's, it's not a movie that, you know, you can watch without being triggered. Um, not saying from my standpoint, but I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm close, you know, making a, a guess on, in that regards. Um, yeah. And I thought the performances overall were pretty, pretty good. Um, there's definitely some aspects of it that are also very dated when it gets into the psychoanalysis part. It's just, so there's a lot of eye rolly, you know, stuff there, which we sure. can get into. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, I'll, I definitely have some questions. There were some questions that I had aired out to my partner while I was watching it that she kind of, she reassured me that maybe that weren't so outlandish when I was thinking of some of the, you know, the the plot devices used. But yeah, overall, I mean, it was an enjoyable film and I'm glad I finally got to watch it. Um, I will, I, yeah. I, I will, I will say this too. <laughs> I know this still happens in movies, um, but I feel like the late seventies and eighties were particular times. This is a relic, a horror relic of the late seventies and eighties that I don't feel I see as much as the whole premise that that is quote unquote based off of a true story. You know, when it clearly is like bullshit. But well, you know, well, this is a true story, right? Yeah, I know, but well, what do you mean bullshit? But I don't like. I don't believe. I don't believe the quote unquote true story that informs these things. It's like, it's like the Amityville story. Like that's supposedly a true story that there was a haunted house. I you see know? what you're saying. Well, you know what I mean. I have my own skepticisms of that, and I. But I feel like that. All my skepticisms aside, that I feel like was a thing that happened more. You know, as a kind of way to like, you know, sensationalize and pull people in to watching a movie. It was like, oh, this is based off of a true story. Anyways, so those are just some thoughts I had right off the top. Um, and to to piggyback off of off of that, I think your I think your skepticism is the movie is hinged upon the skepticism of the paranormal being a parable for the skepticism of rape claims. I think the same reaction that many people have to paranormal activity is mirrored in the reactions that many women get and, and the reason as to the reason why they actually don't come forward in large percentages. Because ah. they I think I think this film acts as a feminist critique in that aspect. Because I feel like Okay. That is a big part of it. Is the um, 
you know, the victim blaming kind of rape, rape culture that exists. I think they use, uh, the, I think they use the paranormal as, as a, as a guise for that. Um, okay. Which I think is, which I think is smart because sci-fi movies forever have been using, um, aliens and otherworldly, uh, identities as a mask for social commentaries and socio-political commentaries. Twilight Zone is very, um, does that prevalently. Right. Um, and, and Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I think there's also that going on. Um, yeah, that, that's a, that's, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting, good way to, to take that. But we'll get it. I mean, we'll get into all that. Um, why don't we dive right into a, a a plot description and move from there? Yeah, I feel like this one's not something that most people have maybe watched, but um, it's about a single mother of three, Carla Moran, who has a series of incredibly violent uh paranormal rapes that happened to her and she is basically grasping for straws for any sort of answers she goes to uh, a friend uh a psychologist and paranormal psychologist to try to figure this one out um and then it kind of takes a weird turn into the uh paranormal investigatory uh, realm, I should yeah. say, uh, culminating in one of the most preposterous, uh, <laughs> experiments, uh, that I, that I could remember happening at, at, to conclude a, a horror movie. Um, so yeah, for sure. I got a lot of questions about that part. Yeah. So back to what I was saying, because I, I assume, I thought maybe that you didn't think this was a true story. That, that's what I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, I was like, trying to, I was like, what are you talking about? Um, the, the actual woman that this happened to is Doris Bither. She was a mother of four and it's a, based off of a 1974 case. And the book that was written uh, about this is a second account of a, of a, the, the author had, interviewed and was in constant contact with Doris, um, up until her death. Um, so there's lots of things in the movie because the, the DVD version that, that I own actually has a wonderful little mini documentary with the para, the parapsychologist that actually visited her at her home originally, um, and was with her for a lot of these encounters. He describes, um, a lot of the events and that scene in the bookstore where they meet for the first time, where <laughs> it's kind of hokey and they like meet each other over like in the paranormal book section of the bookstore or whatever, that is legitimately how he met her. He like okay. overheard her telling her story in a bookstore and then that's how they hooked up. So there's parts of the, in the movie that are like ripped, com like straight out of uh, the real story. Um, in terms of money earned reviews, that sort of thing, it had a $9 million budget budget and grossed a little over 13 million. So, you know, not a, a, a blockbuster hit by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, it held its own. Um, I think a lot of, they, they skipped a lot of the, um, 
I think they skipped a lot of, obviously you can't have commercials for this on TV or ads. So a lot of the pre-planning for it, I think it just came out and, and not that many people even saw any sort of advertisement for it. So that yeah. probably hurt numbers. Um, the best review I could find was actually not a review, but it was actually a quote from an American film theorist, uh, Michael Atkinson, who loved the film and said, and I think this is concisely puts into this concisely puts into uh, words of, on similarly how I feel. He says there may not be outside of David Cronenberg's Wonder Cabinet a more nitro-powered horror movie metaphor hell than that fueling this post-exorcist remnant. It's like the movie is writing its own library of fiery feminist theory. It remains unnerving and savage, arguably the most eloquent movie ever made in Hollywood about the struggle of the sexual underclass. I think that's pretty, I think that concisely puts into words um, in a way that I, I, that I couldn't uh, articulate, but I do, I do feel like it has a, uh, a feminist theory to it that has, that has grown, that is, as opposed to falling down, which is maybe reversed, like aged poorly. I think this movie is, has grown stronger with age. I feel like the the message that it has is more relevant now than even then. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. And I can see where that quote, you know, where it comes from for sure. And, you know, again, we'll get into this when we talk about, you know, some of the questions and things like that. Like, uh, like with the, again, the, 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 the poor aging of the, the Freudian theory that goes, be, went behind her psychoanalysis and things like that. And yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's just get into the good, the bad and the questionable. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's definitely hard to talk about a paranormal rape movie in terms of good. Um, <laughs> that's that's going to be tough, but I, there's lots of good in here, and at least for me. Um, but I would like to hear from you first because I'm curious. Well, as is the case with a lot of movies that we talk about, you know, I like to talk about the soundtrack, and you mentioned it up the top, up at the top. This has an amazing soundtrack, but. We'll say that some of it's in my bad, but we'll get to that. I'm very, I, I'm so, I, I can't even, I'm so perplexed. Like, I feel like this was made for you. I don't even know what, I, I, I'm so curious. I almost want to fast forward to the bad because I, yeah. I don't even know what it could be. And I agree completely. This soundtrack has a lot of, in it that I genuinely love. And this is like my it, favorite horror movie soundtrack. It's got to be in the top three. Um, I absolutely, well, specifically, I, when, in, whenever any of the paranormal shit happens, they're like, bump, 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 bump. That shit is 
horrifying. Like it like ramps up the what is already a horrifying ordeal to like to like 15. Like I I find that specific part of the soundtrack to be just absolutely terrifying. And well, go ahead. I'll just get it out of the way. I like that part, but it's overused. That's my issue. I feel like it is it is it is it is slathered on way too much. And there's points in the movie where, you know, there's that intensity um and aggression that needs to be conveyed, um, where they use different motifs to convey it. There's times in that movie where it use like they use that I, I described it as the trash can metal guitar. Like it's almost like a Einstein Neubauten type of like amplified yeah, thing, a fucking but, Rammstein beat or some shit. Yeah, it's it's very industrial yeah, and very driving. But there's there's parts in the movie where it's just like I felt like it didn't need to be used, particularly when they're in the crawl space and they're checking the pipes and they use it right there, and it's just like this is not necessary for this part. That's so a good I feel point. like. But you, yeah, don't, so I, you don't have a problem with the actual score then, because who's who's in charge of slathering that on? The the uh, the director, producer, sound engineer. I mean, the guy, yeah. the guy that uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, God, now it, now it slips. Oh, Charles Bernstein. I mean, Charles Bernstein just you know he he produced the score. He put it together, but. Right. Um, I don't yeah. know. I, I agree. I could see what you're saying. I didn't. I didn't. I don't mind it, and I don't. I don't. I don't think it's overused. It doesn't bother me. But I could see why. Like that's a good example in the pipes and stuff. But <laughs> um, but yeah. Other, otherwise, it's an amazing score. It's a really diverse score. They use a, a wide variety of of you know styles and techniques to convey the atmosphere and the, the, the dynamics of the movie. And yeah, after I watched it, it, it shot up pretty quickly to be one of the best soundtracks I've heard. So yeah, the actual creation of it and production and orchestration, I have no problems with it is yes, that, that, uh, that, um, post-production aspect of it, that the, you know, the, where it was placed, I feel like could have been dialed back a little bit. So just talking up, it's a good with some slight, you know, critique there. I, I see what you're saying. It makes sense. Um, other than that, <clears throat> before I hand it off to you, I'll say one thing about this is the action or the, the, the horror kicks off right away. It, there's no, Exposi- there's not a lot of exposition that leads up to like what's actually happening to this person. There's not a lot of backstory. It's just, you know, you get a, a brief glimpse of her life. She's got, you know, for all intents and purposes. I mean, at the time, it may have been a little bit abnormal, but, you know, she's a, a working mom that's trying to put herself through school, you know, and take care of her family that just gets immediately thrust into this you know, terrifying, unexplainable sort of circumstance. So that was also, I like that a lot that, you know, it doesn't have a lot of, you know, build up and a lot of like, you know, it doesn't tire you out with that exposition. So no, and it's a tick over. It's just a, a 
minuscule amount over two hours, but it moves. Like it doesn't feel like you don't get like 30 to 45 minutes of like her taking the kids to Wendy's and her sitting yeah. in the carpool lane waiting to pick up the kids and her going out to lunch with her friend. And yeah, you don't get any of that shit. You, it just opens right up and then you get two hours of it, but it does not, it doesn't feel that long. It, it moves. The movie is over with and before you even know it. Absolutely. So there's a couple of my, my goods right off the top. Um, you just can't fucking beat whenever Stan Winston is just a part of something. It's just, it's just, you know, you're in for like top notch, absolutely top notch effects. Um, and the practical effects in this specifically the, uh, chest piece that they had molded for this, that cost them, I think I read 60,000 fucking dollars just to make that thing. Um, so they could, they could show the fingers like doing boob grabbing and stuff like, is phenomenal it's so good like it still holds up like i watched it and was like this still rules like this is still an, a wonder of of special effects especially for this this budget we're not talking jurassic park here yeah and that part was super creepy to watch um i did have a slight critique on that as well but overall yeah it's 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 really hard to watch and, 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 and very convincing all in all. And yeah, the effects are amazing. Definitely some of, uh, uh, some of the effects that involve showing what, uh, I guess the, the, uh, the effect of the entity on the electricity in the, in the, uh, in the room. I really, I really enjoy a lot. I wrote down, I, I'm trying to think of what, specific scene it was but i just wrote down lightning hands there's a part where somebody's like it's the uh, sun yeah that's uh, what it is yeah the sun's hands are electrified there's a uh there's a scene in star trek that star trek next gen that is super famous and has sparked like a bunch of memes and there's even like uh there's a metallica ride the lightning cover that they've they've superimposed like wharf over but it's wharf getting like uh, finger lightning <laughs> it's like <laughs> electrocuted it i don't know for whatever reason it just i feel like it just reminded me of the exact same scenario as i was like pulled from the same exact effects department um yeah i like it but even that like that that's classic 80s early 80s hokey like superimposed lightning bit but um even that worked for me but uh, especially that that chess piece he specifically had it engineered to where you could manipulate it from underneath making it right. look like finger imprints and such which is wild um yeah i would just say overall the effects are great and there's other practical effects like the windows exploding and and you know just really adds to the intensity of the movie and and the and you know those like kind of almost jump scary type of aspects to it yeah yeah Absolutely. The window's getting blown out. I mean, they get like fucking obliterated. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like D-Day when she's in her friend, when she's in Cindy's apartment, which brings me to my next good. Cindy is uh, not a good friend. If this was a great category, she is a great friend, an absolutely yeah. top-notch friend. She stays with Carla. She stays in the same bed as her, sleeps in the same bed to make sure she feels safe sends her kids off to school in the morning for her and even lets her 
stay with her until her dickhead husband kind of puts the kibosh on it. Cindy is top-notch friend. Yeah, and I'm glad that she came through uh, after that window exploding scene because, of course, you you have to expect that the husband is immediately going to be a dickhead, and he is. It's just like, look what she did to the house. Anybody that wasn't a complete numbnuts would walk in and see some woman crying, and the conclusion they wouldn't make was, oh, you did this to my house. You'd be like, oh, fuck, are you all right? What what happened here? And that <laughs> is specifically, I'm glad you brought that up. That is one of several times in the movie that acts specifically as a comparison to um, to a woman coming out about a rape. The Cindy sees it and sees the evidence of it and comes to the logical conclusion that she believes the victim. And right. the husband comes to the opposite conclusion. He almost has the, well, maybe she had it coming kind of conclusion. (laughs) Right. So that is one of three or four that I caught undercover, um, undercover ways of them making this a, a comparison to, it's weird because she is, she is claiming she's being raped, but they use the paranormal aspect of it to even to broaden the, the, to really bend that critique on it. Cause the men are n- unbelieving of the paranormal, but in the same respects of being critics of the paranormal, they are also dismissing her rape. Right. So that's Absolutely. another good example of it. That's a great mm-hmm. example of it. Cause he's a dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and, and that was kind of my, my, my next one anyway. Um, the the lines that are being drawn between paranormal skepticism and the skeptical victim blaming kind of culture is so well done in this as a very powerful social commentary. Um, I just gave you an example of what I was talking about, but the best example of which is actually at the end, after the entity slips through, um, slips through their hands in that like weird Ghostbusters e trap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The female parapsychologist says, well, because uh, they said it was all a waste. Someone says, like, you know, it was all a waste. We, 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 we had it and it slipped through our hands. And she says, well, we have something even better. We have, a wit- we have a witness. And the psychiatrist, the male psychiatrist in the room, makes excuses as to what could have happened. He, even having seen it with his own eyes, is still unbelieving of it. And I think that is the most powerful message of 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 the movie but it's something that's reiterated throughout is all the men in this movie are dickheads <laughs> they all right. they all make excuses as to what she's going through and they all are skeptics and the even the ones that believe her treat her as a rat in a cage experiment to kind of be manipulated so there's no good men portrayed in this movie even her boyfriend runs out on her like a chicken shit because he's like, Oh, I didn't sign up for this, which is another commentary of men that are like, well, I didn't sign up for, you know, quote unquote damaged goods. So there's a lot of that going on. And I think the movie does it expertly without like hit hammering it over your fucking head. Yeah. And also as a viewer who is, 
you know, is a, a, a an ally to the victim in this. You're all the more frustrated. You're so frustrated by each time that this happens. And that very ending is it's it's such a motherfucker. Where you're just like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and that's that's yeah, and that's what's fucked up about it is, you know, coming from a, a male perspective that is trying to be an ally is frustrating for you. It's just you can't imagine how frustrating it must be for a victim that's trying to, you know, prove to some to, to people that they're being victimized and just consistently being met with, you know, this incredulousness, you know, this, you know, this patriarchal incredulousness like that. And you just want to reach your hands through the screen and fucking choke this motherfucker when that happens. <laughs> yeah. The, the movie does an excellent job of planting empathy especially, you know, from a male viewer perspective, you could really empathize with the uphill battle that a woman faces in having to bring up a rape. Uh, the movie frustrates the viewer into you being in those shoes, um, you know, without any of the trauma associated with it. I could definitely see the unendingly frustrating battle, um, that women have to face and then how in a courtroom they're essentially the ones on trial instead of the victim or instead of the perpetrator. Um, right. So that, that all is melded together, but that's, that's why I think this makes for a really great, um, horror feminist kind of, um, piece of cinema. It actually has a message instead of just gratuitous, uh, sexual violence. Yeah. The only other good that I had on here was what I what we already led off the top, which was uh, I just think Barbara Hershey is um, is 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 delightful. <laughs> I think yeah, she's I, really good in this. I think she's really good in in falling down. Um, I just I think she's great. And then you know we could say that in certain aspects she kind of <sighs> reprise this role with insidious but mm. coming from a different angle you mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah where you know she she herself isn't she's a she's a part of this curse or this you know this entrapment by the these entities this entity but from a different perspective as the mother so you know obviously i, I love that she's a a horror lifer too i have respect for people that keep coming back to the genre because a lot of them um, maybe make their start in there in the horror, horror genre and then it ruins their career. They're not able to do anything with it. And then there's people like Barbara Hershey who just kind of delve in and out of it, but knock it out of the park every time. So I'm glad she keeps coming back. Yeah, for sure. And she had something. So I didn't even bring this up, but obviously there was crazy amount of protests when this movie came out because of how graphic um, the rape scenes are. But she said something really eloquent about it that I thought was great. She said, I resent being put in a position of defending the film. We worked really hard not to make it explo exploitative. Rape is one of the ugliest, if not the ugliest thing that can happen to someone. It's murder of a sort. I have no answer for those people who are offended. That's such a great quote. Like, I love that she's defending it and at the same rate being like, we tried every measure to not make this an exploitative movie, and I wouldn't have signed up for this if that were the case. And I think the movie speaks for this itself, and I, I just don't have anything to say to the people that are protesting or, and find it to be offensive because, um, you know, 
it speaks yeah. for itself. Yeah, but in, in a lot of ways, you know, you know, she's also like dealing with, you know, a context of the time where, you know, even more so than now, you know, men are very reactionary or, you know, will use whatever they, you know, everything that they can to exploit, you know, women. So even though, even though the intent was not exploitative, somebody would like take it that way and then, you know, completely miss the point. So, you know, I, 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 I get why there was probably some, you know, there was kerfuffle about it and, and misinterpretation. But yeah, that's good that she was there to defend it, though, because obviously then, you know, it wouldn't have maybe it wouldn't have been able to like quite have the the, the, the post analysis that it has, like you've talked about, if it didn't have actual allied defenders of it that were able to eloquently speak about what the movie was trying to say. You so. definitely need a female voice to right. defend it. Then I'm glad she did. Yeah. What other good do you have? That I mean, that rounds out most of my good for the movie. Other than I love, I love a and and speaking of Insidious again. Now I'm like, once you said Insidious, um, my head is like, uh, I, I I like can't stop thinking of the comparisons because I love. I was about to say I love a good dork ass dweeb ass team of paranormal right <laughs> yeah. so, like they bring uh a in insidious it's a much more of a comedic relief that i find super refreshing um but uh in this uh i think they're total dweebs but not in a they're not a, it's not in a comedic sense i think they just they bring some reprieve though i like that aspect. right yeah for sure you know i mean that's we've we've talked about pretty much everything that I think needs to be talked about in those regards. All right. So does that wrap up our bad? We didn't talk about bad. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I meant, (laughs) I meant to say, I will not have anyone say anything bad about this movie. Um, (laughs) I meant to say, does that wrap up our good? Can we move into the bad? I I believe so. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's, let's hear your bad. Um, well, I already talked about the overuse of that one device. So that's, you know, again, we, we discussed that. The more I think uh, about it, the more I, 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 th- I, I agree with you. It just doesn't bother me. I, right. I, I point when pointed out, does, do we really need it when they're under the house? I, I could see your points. Yeah. Um, bad. <laughs> I have a few bads for sure. Um, some of them just have to do with, um, the the context and the and the era that this was created, so there's going to be um, w- uh, kind of uh, uh, these artifacts that don't age well, um, and then other aspects are um, performance wise. But <laughs> right off the top, I it drives me crazy in any any time I watch any older movies when I see. People smoking indoors, let alone let alone that, but let alone that uh, uh, health professionals smoking inside. Bad health professionals drives me up the fucking wall. Bad at their job. And there's that meeting that they're having where they're talking about her that that roundtable of psychoanalysts, and they're all just smoking away. We one guy just like lights up a cigar, and even that offends uh, Ron Silver's. 
character where he's like, you know, waving it the 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 smoke away and just like he's like looking at him like, what the fuck are you doing, well, man? He's not smoking, right? He's 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 one of the only people in the room that isn't smoking. It's just this whole room of just people just just puffing away. And I just I so I grew up in a house with a smoker. I don't smoke. I, I it is like to me, it is top five worst fucking habits anybody can do. And I'll probably you remember. one better. I'll say it is the worst fuck. I fucking hate it. I absolutely hate it. I would say top number one worst goddamn thing that you could do yeah. as a human. <laughs> I, I, I abhor it so much. And um, you will remember this as well as I will, that Indiana was one of the, the last states. Vestiges. Yeah. All those bars. <laughs> And so, and I work, you know, I've worked in bars for a long time and, you know, they didn't pass a smoking ban until I would say 2010. I was still in college because I remember being at IEPUI and, uh, yeah, it was either my, I think it was my junior or senior year because all of a sudden everyone had to be a certain distance from the front of the building. I remember that specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. Two, I graduated in 2010, so 2009, 2010, yeah. Yeah, so I just I have bad flashbacks because having to be in enclosed buildings and rooms with people just smoking away, it's just like, ugh, I just like see that and I'm like, I gag. So you're saying so, like, that they're bad at they're, that, what, what's bad in that aspect? Like, obviously, not. Not from the film's perspective, but more so like why are health professionals smoke health professionals smoking is a bad look. Absolutely. hundred yes. percent. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to piggyback on that, just that whole analysis that they're having. We talked about this a little bit. There's this Freudian analysis that they're having about why she might be going through this trauma, why she might be inventing this, so to say. And, you know, that obviously ties in with the whole you know feminist aspect of this and and seeing like women you know in a in a different position you know as almost like as a as a you know um second class sort of citizen or or uh uh sub intellectual i guess where you know they're they're tying it all into you know her living more or less not a, a conventional sort of life for a woman at the time where she's had, obviously she's had multiple sexual partners. You know, she, um, had her child at a very young age. So they're trying to tie it all into these things that, you know, you know, make her more or less abnormal, which are completely, you know, normal and should be considered as thus. Um, by any rational society that doesn't, you know, put women in, 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 in a second-class sort of status. So that whole aspect of it didn't age well at all. And no, that's the thing. It's not like those thoughts have gone away completely. There's still, there's still vestiges of that that exists in society to this day, you know, that are currently counterinsurgent to, you know, they're counterinsurgent to making any sort of progress, um, but yeah, so that obviously is bad. That didn't age very well. This this fucked up, you know, shitty uh, analysis of her condition. Um, what else? 
I guess I'll just keep the train going with the psychoanalyst. I just think the Ron Silver, that character he plays, Snyderman, he's such a dick. God, he's such a dick. I wonder and, if we're supposed to like, or is he supposed to be the like? I couldn't pinpoint exactly what we what the <laughs> filmmakers were trying to say with him. Like, were we supposed to like him? I don't get it. Like, because he saves her, quote unquote, saves her at the end by running into a proverbial burning building to get her out of there and all that. And he cares for her. And it even mm-hmm. seems like he changes his tune by the end. But uh, he fights it. He fights it tooth and nail. He does. So, like, what is his it, bad slash questionable? What is his character? I'm not sure, like, if you're supposed to relate with it. Like, you have to be given some sort of reprieve with an individual that is is the viewer and is seeing this through the viewer's perspective. But you don't get it with him, and you don't get it with the parapsychologist either because they just see her as a lab rat. So it's a weird – it's weird. I don't know if I was reading too much in between the lines with it either, but I felt like – his character also, to me, represented what would be the the proverbial nice guy, quote unquote, where he was trying to be protective of her, but he had his own agenda and motivations. Like there might have been a romantic interest there. And so he was basically trying to keep her to himself, you know, and not let her be influenced by other opinions that would take her away from him. You know, yeah, so I, I read I, think, I read that into it as well. No, I think you're right. I think the all the men in this movie are a kaleidoscope of of the shitty men that exist in women's lives. The boyfriend, <laughs> um, you've got Carla's boyfriend Jerry, who leaves her uh, <laughs> at the sight of any sort of of you know rape or uh, you know the road gets rocky and he, he gets the fuck out of there. Um, and then Snyderman, uh, you've got the, you've got Carla's husband, or I'm sorry, Cindy's husband, George, who's a, mm-hmm. who's a skeptic and, and women have their own place. And, and you even have the paranormal, uh, investigators who again are, are kind of exploitative in their motives for, for helping her. So it's like all men in this movie that my bad, and this was my bad or all men in this movie are painted in some sort of exploitative light, which is, I think good for the aspect of the movie, but men are the bad aspect of this movie. They're the, yeah. they're the, they're almost more insidious than the entity. <laughs> right. So it's a show. It's just showing that men not only are dickheads in this life, but they're also dickheads in the astral plane as well. Yeah. <laughs> and in the parallel, <laughs> parallel existence. We're interdimensional they're, dickheads. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, this, this harkens back to our discussion that we had about repulsion. I was going to bring yeah. that up um, because it is very similar. And Roman Polanski was asked to direct this or was, it was skirted by him at, at one point. So I don't know. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, for sure. That's, that's, that's all uh, a, a thing as well. And fuck, I had a thought, um, uh, while we were talking about that and I completely, Oh, I know what it was. Another thing. I didn't write it down. I think in my bad, but, um, I wanted to point out another bad in terms of bad dudes, bad guys, God, her boyfriend. So, 
I know it's implied in in the story that like the the father of her two daughters is, was an older man. So she went from you know she yeah. she had a, she had a father that was you know they were too young they were teenagers basically or whatever and then he passed and then she went the opposite direction and ended up having a relationship with an older man and so to me it's like the introduction of Jerry is maybe this continuation of this idea that she has some sort of codependent sort of, you know, uh, relationships with older men. And he's just like, he's just the grossest dude. Uh, I, you know, that actor, he's been in other things too. And we'll talk about him later. Um, but he's fine, you know, but he, like his look seems to say the same in every movie I've seen him in. And he has that quintessential, like, leisure suit Larry, gross, 70s uncle type of vibe where it's it's like he just smells of bad cologne and cigars. Yeah, just just pinky rings and, (laughs) yeah, just pinky rings and just oiled up, hairy fucking back shit, yeah. Right, yeah, he's he's totally, he's, he's a mob side dude. You know, and uh, he just grosses me out so he much. Gross. And then just you know when he pulls that uh, that back, yeah, that that pussy ass shit, and you know backs out at, at, at like the slightest sort of you know indication of if any sort of uh, you know whatever. Um, yeah, just the slightest adversity, you know, adversity. He was out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, he was in my bad as well. Um, uh, another, well, this is a questionable bad that I had because um, we talked about this. Uh, in the good, the the prosthetic chest device that we were talking about. Oh, yeah. That was, that was very cool, and I thought that was very well, well used, but I felt like you could clearly see during that part that her head is is poking out from behind it you mm. know and, uh, from under the bed and there seems you can see that there's kind of like a lack of a of a connection between her neck and the actual prosthetic body piece but you know again that's just that was a technical bad on my part that I don't I feel like that was not completely well executed but the device itself I really liked a lot like I liked that yeah, I absolutely. I didn't, I didn't think it was fully, fully formed together. Um, what else? That's all I. Yeah, that's all I have for bad. I uh, already explained my bad uh, with all the bad, the bad men in this movie. Um, yeah. The only other discussion that I had. Uh, oh no, no, wait! I did have another one. The approach to catching the entity is just a bad plan. Why do they think that – why do the parapsychologists act like this is something that could be trapped like wild game? Like I'm not right. sure. It's so strange. And uh, they have a very – it's like they have a very physical solution to a very intangible and otherworldly problem. And worst of all, they're the paranormal experts. They should know better. They, like, like why yeah. do they think that they could just – Freeze this fucking thing that is like interdimensional. That's so bizarre. That's such yeah. a bad plan. I I agree, and I I like that you're of the two of us. You're the one that spots and dissects the bad plans. Um, because yeah, I had that in my questionable, more or less, but also bad. Where it's a it's questionable just, and bad plan. Yeah. 
Yeah, where it's just this elaborate sort of scenario that who really like to me, this is the thing that my partner said, you know, is plausible. And I guess it is. And I was questioning where I'm like, what fucking college would have financed this harebrained? I I know colleges and, and universities, they finance harebrained research all the time. But to me, it just seemed like incredibly outlandish that, you know, they would shovel, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into this this very niche research project where they they reconstruct an entire house in a gymnasium. That alone being enough to like cost like, you know, thousands of dollars. And then they develop specific sort of you know, freezing mechanisms that are on like this pivoting, you know, arm, this, you know, this, 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 this robotic device that is able to like follow the entity and trap it. It's just like, I don't know, man. And a built in safe room, like through like double plated glass and shit. Um, this is where the, this is where the story divert. This is where fact diverges from fiction. I was going to say, this is, this is where it goes off the rails, really, for because me. Because they do – she was observed by doctoral students at UCLA. That's, a, that's true. Um, yeah. And they could, did conduct uh, many experiments trying to recreate certain scenarios. Um, mm-hmm. Did they go to the lengths of, of uh, rebuilding the house, uh, replicating the house? Um, no. But also, Doris Bither – lived in a like condemned shanty house that uh was condemned by the city and like didn't have running water and didn't have basic utilities she was really yeah so like the house was a complete shithole shack when the when the paranormal psychologist went over there for the first time they couldn't believe that she was even living in it because it was in such disrepair so um, that's that's wild. I didn't know that whole aspect yeah, of it. Really, that she, really bizarre. She, she was living in a state of dereliction during all of this. Yeah, yeah, which <laughs> might have added to the psychosis. Um, I'm sure. Right. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the only other bad I had was I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where you land with this line, and I because I don't even know where I land with this line. But when she comes home, and it's. And the entity says, welcome home, cunt. I, it sends me into a tizzy of laughter. Like, I think it's the, some of the funniest shit I think you've ever heard in my life. That is so fucking preposterous. <laughs> why well, I don't know, I have any idea why they threw that in there. It is, it is so bad that it's, it's great. I fucking love it. I I'll be honest with you. I miss that. I don't remember that part of the movie. Oh, really? So it's like one of the most famous lines from the movie when she, so when she just comes home right after the experiment, she walks in and the entity literally says, welcome home, cunt. See, I remember there being a voice, but I, I guess I just didn't pick up what it said. You got to drop that into this episode. It is so oh, yeah. ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. I absolutely love it because you're like, you just went through this harrowing experience with her, like, and for her to come home and for it to be like that, like, it's like she, it came home to like the caddy roommate that was like, oh, fucking welcome home, cunt. Like, <laughs> it, it, like, like the entity has turned into like, some sort of like 
catty fucking uh, shithead roommate instead of like the rapey paranormal thing that it is. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, yeah, it does seem a little gratuitous. For it's that. it's uh, so bad it's good. Okay, uh, questionable. You got I feel questions? Like, I feel like we we kind of talked about the questions with the bad. There was one that I meant to bring up also that is more of a question. <laughs> there is no way that that dude playing her son is young enough to be her son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I was thinking something similarly. My uh my stepson is 14 and um in a couple more years I feel like he's going to look like this kid. I mean, he already looks ridiculous. He's like I mean, it, he's like taller than me. He's like I mean, it's fucking kind of crazy. And when I drop him off for football practice with other fucking freshmen, I'm like he has a dude on his freshman football team who has a full beard. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not saying that. <laughs> right. So I bought the aspect because my stepson's also half Mexican. So, like, I, I don't, for whatever reason, I really connected with this older, this older son that's divided by his. I have a very similar dynamic going on in my house right now because we have our 14 year old stepson and our two year old daughter. And we have like the teenage son in this and the and the, and his two daughters that he's or his two siblings that he's separated by a large age gap. But, yeah, I think I mean, it's supposed to speak to the fact that of how young she was in that first relationship. But I totally see what That's you're true. saying. Maybe you were just like, holy shit, this kid does not look like he's just like a fucking high school student. I, I, I was confused in the beginning because when I saw that, I. I had to, you know, wait to figure out whether that was actually her son or whether it was her husband, her boyfriend, because that's the way the, the 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 dynamic at first and the look of that actor. It's jarring. It gave me the impression that yeah, that there was there, there was that was actually a, a, a they were having an adult relationship. Um, but that's another thing from that era, um, from the eighties. I feel like that happened a lot was using actors to play younger parts that, you know, you could clearly, especially for like movies that had smaller budgets, um, you know, horror movies where there'd be teenagers, quote unquote, in the movie. And you'd be like, there's no way that's a fucking teenager. And then you'd look up their age on their IMDB profile or whatever and see, Oh yeah, that actress was, 28 years old and they're playing a 16 year old in this movie. So, well, and you know, outside of it being her son, it's much more, uh, passable that she would be in a relationship with just a younger dude than fucking like auntie pasto, little Italy, Jerry. I know. Right. So like, and I wasn't, I didn't know where to put this in cause I didn't even have it in the trivia, but it's just something I read. They had a whole angle of, that she has a, a series of incestuous dreams where she seduces the son uh, yeah, that they completely I, I, took out of the movie, which thank fuck they did. Um, right. But there was, they, they had some scenes in there hinting at like, there was one in particular where he was doing lawn work with his shirt off and she was like gazing at him from out the window. And so it was like almost implied that she had some sort of weird, psychosexual psychosis thing going on with incest and it being intertwined with her 
bad relationships with men and uh, yeah yeah so ugh, yeah jesus <laughs> what yeah it further entangling this this very uh, you, you yeah not, you don't need to throw that into this, this <laughs> what is already uh, insane so yeah yeah this 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 spaghetti for sure um <laughs> That was, I mean, I already talked about the other questions that were related to this was more or less had to do with like the research aspect of it. And, um, yeah, so I don't know what, what you might have. Oh, I got questions. Um, some of them are silly. Some of them are serious. Nah, most of them are silly. Um, (laughs) what's the conversation that the Nashes have to have with their insurance company what does that conversation look like after their place gets fucking wrecked? I don't even right. like that is such a weird call to State Farm. Um, yeah. Carla is a little quick to celebrate and assume it's over. It's kind of weird that she's like, they come over, the paranormal psychologists come over the one time and then she just feels that his energy is weakened. And she's like, Oh, it, it's a, the dawn of a new day. She's like waking up the fucking kids and being like, it's over. It's over. Come on, everybody. It's over now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a strange uh, reaction. I would be a little yeah. bit more hesitant, especially after getting paranormally raped repeatedly. I, I right. don't know if I would be so quick to assume it's over. Um, <laughs> is parasite. And this is a, obviously a fake question. Well, it, it might be a real question. I, I said, is parapsychology a real profession? Because if so, I've wasted my life thus far. But then at the end of the movie, I watched the fucking interview with that parapsychologist. And I was like, oh, okay, it is. Oh, yeah. But how wild. That is like a fantasy uh, career. I can't even. That is so bizarre. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 pretty if you ask me, it's it's a lot of quackery. I mean, is it the same thing I, as being like a, a cryptozoologist or some shit? Like, I mean, <laughs> it's got to have more credence than like Bigfoot trackers, right? Uh, I, you know, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't know much uh, other than. Do you believe what I, in what do you believe in more or is it the same? Do you believe in ghosts? Or whatever that looks like, or do you believe in like fucking Bigfoot? Ugh. If I had to choose. Are you that much of a paranormal skeptic? Because I'm all about like definitely paranormal shit happens. Like I'm a thousand percent convinced of that. I am nowhere near that percentage on Bigfoot. It's 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 crazy because as much as I love this stuff and, you know, I love the X-Files and I love the occult and and all these things that would that would lend you to believe that I would buy into some of this stuff. I'm like a pretty hard skeptic on all of it. Actually, the fucking Mulder and Scully of podcasts here. Yeah, I I don't even I don't even believe in extraterrestrials. I don't believe that there's other life forms in the universe besides what us. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I think am I, season one Fox Mulder, and you are season one Dana Scully, and I need you to be season nine Dana Scully when <laughs> she is suddenly thrust into the role of being the believer that Mulder was, um, and Agent Doggett, Doggett, Dog, yeah is the skeptic so right well when i was younger i definitely believed in all of this stuff and there were things that my mom 
said she saw that she swore up and down uh, were real indications of, you know, paranormal and an existence of the afterlife. But I just over time, because there just really to me is a lack of evidence in front of my face for any of it. I'm just like, until I see it, I just think it's all a bunch of hooey. Um, so, so I'm going uh, to have to get a hold of assistant director Skinner. We're going to have to be pulled <laughs> into his fucking office. We're going to have to have a talk here because I can't work with you under these circumstances. <laughs> oh, uh, no, no. I'm, I'm role playing, baby. Yeah. I'm no, Fox I, Mulder. I, come on. The, the thing is, for me, <laughs> I, I could use a statement that I want to believe in the sense that I think it would be rad if all these things existed. I wished that there was ghosts and demons and all these things that, you know, I love from an artistic perspective, and but I just don't see any evidence for it at all. And as far as, you know, extraterrestrials go, anytime any I hear anything about it, it seems like it's almost like it's like this weird psyops kind of info that gets thrown into the in into public into the public uh, purview to kind of distract them from other awful shit. And then it goes away. So I just, I just don't I don't buy it. I don't even know you anymore. You're not I'm even sorry. you're not even Scully. You're smoking man. <laughs> you're insi- insidiously uh, your insidious motives to making me not want to believe makes me believe even harder. Well, I mean, then then I'm doing my then I'm doing my job correctly. Then rap, well, the irony of you not liking sm- smoking is that you're smacking a smoking a pack of Morley's. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what to believe. Um, well, that, and, and, and you know, then the twist is I am your father. Fuck, that's right. <laughs> As I don't want to go into X Files wormhole. Um, yeah. Although we should just start an X-Files podcast and watch every X-Files episode. Uh, that, would, that would be sick, but I'm sure there's like a hundred of those. Who cares? hundred and one. Um, mm-hmm. As with everything with the X-Files, they flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop to the point where you don't even know it's real. It's like, it's, totally. his, it's his father, or is it? <laughs> it's like, nothing is ever definitive in that fucking show. Like, And that's what's so infuriatingly brilliant about it is... You don't ever get any answers, and that's and that's why you don't know what to fucking believe. And I think that's the best way to approach it. Yeah, and what I feel like, not to go on this tangent any further, but I, I, th- <laughs> I think that's the whole point is they're trying to illustrate that, you know, getting to the truth of this is so complex and so entangled that you know it's almost it's almost as if there is no truth. So yes or no on our X Files podcast? Maybe. Fuck yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to believe that we will do that. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, questions. I have no other questions other than Habitat for Humanity should get a hold of these parapsychologists because the idea that they built that fucking replica in like two days, like she's really right. like they also build it in uh, a ridiculous amount of time. I know. So that, <laughs> that on top of the uh, finance, the financing issue is is boggling mind boggling um, and some some master carpenters that work there absolutely okay Welcome home, 
one of the weirdest pairings of a category that we will ever do. Let's go into quotes. <laughs> this is a not a very quotable movie outside of my favorite quote, maybe of any movie we've ever done, where which is the entity saying "Welcome home, cunt." That is so fucking preposterous. I, I, it still rattles me. I, I don't even. Yeah, know. Um, you're gonna have to take the reins on this because I actually kind of biffed it and forgot to even write anything down because I didn't even. There wasn't anything that stood out. So no, it's not because you don't even get the like I already said the the comedic relief of the paranormal investigators. They're not very funny. They're not like, they don't come in, you know, in a jokey manner. And I guess that's probably for the best, but in insidious, the best part of the movie is when they come in into the fray. Um, so yeah, you don't get a lot of quotes from them. Another one that I really liked that was jarring is she said, Cindy says, beautiful day outside, isn't it? Nothing like good old Southern California for lots of sunshine. And Carla just says, I was raped. I think that's like, <laughs> that's fucked up. it's so fucked up, but I think it's also like, uh, I don't know. It, it's a good representation of the disconnect and, uh, you know, she's not even on this sunny California sunshine vibes, vibes, mm. like walking on yeah. sunshine vibes. Um, I love the, the Carla has another good one, um, where she says your halo is burning. I love that one. That is a good one. Um, yeah. And then other than that, I you know, it's just a bunch of stupid shit. I mean, a bunch of, you know, this movie has such serious subject matter that it's, it, you know, we're, I can't, there's not a lot of quotes from it, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so we will move on. Um, did you spot yourself a Dick Miller? Uh, who are you giving your Dick Miller award to? Yeah, I mean, this is another one where I had a few possibilities, but um, so I'll have to narrow it down here, and maybe that'll have to that'll have to come through our discussion. I have to look up one guy here real quick because I wrote him down, and and then okay, yeah, uh, and then I couldn't remember who he was. Um, for me, I think it would have to come down to either Alex Rocco, who played Greasy Jerry, or or Ron Silver. Um, so it's between those two. What, who did you have? Yeah, I just went with Alex Rocco because uh, he is uh, he is exactly that. He's that quintessential Italian greaseball uh, role throughout his career. I mean, he plays in uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, The Godfather, just a lot of like, uh, you know, mobster kind of roles. Um and he's my default from for lack of a better one because, you know, I was looking at his and I think the one that stood out to me the most was he's in Return to Horror High, which I think was tight. <laughs> so he's in like a bunch <laughs> of weird mobster roles and then like movies like The Entity and Return to Horror High and Cannonball Run 2, just like a bunch of weird, just weird shit. So I give yeah. it to him, but I'm also not like thrilled to give it to him because it's more of a default because I just didn't have, I looked at everybody else and I just didn't have another good one. Yeah. I mean, I also, I, I will say I did have as a, as a backup backup, I had George Coe who played the, uh, the psychologist there at the end. Oh yeah. Dr. Weber. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I had Ron Silver too, but like, honestly, the only things I've seen Ron Silver in besides this is Time Cop and 
romancing the stone and i haven't seen romancing the stone since i was a kid so come on now that that's a good one that to me is like the quintessential ron silver role yeah is is his is his role in time cop um so yeah i guess i'll go with ron silver you know, if we could, you know, we usually don't give this because the name, the, the role doesn't go to uh, the lead. It goes to someone that's kind of a background character. But if we could, yeah. I would just give it to Barbara Hershey because I think she's, uh, as I've already said, delightful. Um, yeah, also. Okay. Who would you replace in this movie with Bill Paxton? This was weird too because it was kind of tough, but I don't know. I just picked Billy because this is my this is my reasoning too why I picked Billy was because this movie was made at a time where you know Bill Paxton was still pretty young, so he could pull off being the kid. Sure. So I was like, sure, why not, Bill Paxton? I replaced him. I replaced Ron Silver with him, so I just did a young as hell Snyderman. There you go. Um. All right. Let's go into our directorial trifecta. This one is um, I had I had nothing. I okay. don't know any. I don't know anything about this fucking guy. Yeah, Sidney Fury. Um, I looked at his stuff, uh, and I was trying to pinpoint something, and came to the same conclusion that I just have uh, not seen a lot of his shit outside of. Uh, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say for me, the only, because I'm looking over his profile right now, the only things that I could think of would be Iron Eagle and Superman 4. I was going to mention Superman 4, the worst Superman, um, and Ladybugs. That's the one that one movie I was excited about talking about. I did not know he directed Ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, so ah. I that was fucking crazy. So what a weird trifecta. If you go like a 10 year trifecta, he did the Entity, Superman 4, and Ladybugs in a 10-year span. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's pretty well, fucking stupid. So uh, this is oh, – okay, so I remember now. This is one thing I did want to talk about this guy with his uh, – uh, with the movies that he's been involved with. I don't know if you noticed this, but there are several movies in his filmography that all, by the looks of their titles, all come off – like their pornos. And then I went to the actual movie um entry and they're not. They're like they're they're like the opposite. They're all very um in a lot of ways um not saccharine, but they're they're in no way, shape or form movies that are intended to be um titillating or erotic. And I, there's several of them in his in his profile. There's one called The Naked Runner. And then there's Swingers Paradise and The Leather Boys and yeah. Knights of Passion. What the fuck? Um, they're <laughs> you know they're all the Snake Woman. Um, so I mean, he has one movie called Doctor Blood's Coffin. That I saw sounds that. cool. I also, if you tell me that the Appaloosa is not about sucking a horse's dick, then you, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm shocked. Yeah, there's Appaloosa and then three on a spree. It's yeah, as funny. Yeah. <laughs> They're all That's they weird. all they all are very um 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 they imply that they're probably pornos and they're not at all. They're very uh, suggestive titles. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the and the other the only other thing I would say is that 
the entity specifically, if we're going to just talk about Sidney Fury, the entity specifically, I had read that Martin Scorsese considers it one of the scariest movies of all time. Um, yeah. So he has a major yeah. influence in Hollywood because he also made a Vietnam War film called The Boys in, C, uh, in Company C, which Stanley Kubrick has referenced as being a major influence for Full Metal Jacket. So if not his actual di- directorial output, he did have a uh, influence cinematically on on more prevalent directors. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm just not familiar with his stuff. It's not necessarily that he hasn't. It's because he's Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) I Yeah, I don't. Well, yeah, I mean, I would like to say that. um, But (laughs) that doesn't explain why I like David Cronenberg. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's just weird because I just never have seen really anything of his other than, you know, I, I saw Iron Eagle when I was a kid. I know I've seen Superman 4, but these are all movies that I have not seen in years. And the rest of his filmography, I'm just clueless on. So I, I, I feel like he's it's good that we watch this and this since it has opened my eyes to a uh, uh, director that maybe I need to delve a little further into his into his uh, work, apparently. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. Um, OK, let's get into the wiki wormhole our final category is this the first movie that has a zero body count um nobody dies in this movie uh yeah i believe so i don't think we've had any other movies um with zero body counts that's really weird um that is is wild well okay yeah it does it has a zero body count um let's get into some trivia uh some more aspects of the movie that are true to the actual story um in real life uh um the teenage son described a particularly vicious attack in which uh carla was thrown across the room and he intervened and in doing so broke his arm um, yeah. So in terms of explaining shit, I don't know how you explain something like that. Um, that it just seems wild. But th- that scene with the finger lightning is is supposed to be, um, you know, based on on that story. Um, in an interview with uh, Rue Morgue magazine in 2012, Sidney Fury, and I wonder your thoughts on this, says he does not consider this a horror film. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think that's just him trying to, you know, he's trying to salvage what is supposed to be a serious work. Again, talking about what Barbara Hershey said, you know, that's not supposed to be deemed exploitative from being in, in categorized in a way that would delegitimize the message that was trying to be presented. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a horror movie. But, you know, if you're trying to, you know somehow elevated to what is considered, you know, a higher art form to preserve the intent, then sure. Yeah. You can tell people that, but you're full of shit. So. (laughs) Yeah. It's the same categorization for horror films that, um, might win an Oscar. They're suddenly called thrillers. (laughs) Like science of the lambs is in a horror movie. Apparently it's a thriller. Um, real quick, not to double back. Um, I was trying to I was going through our um our history here to try and find out 
if there was any other movies that had zero body counts. And I think we could posit that Streets of Fire had zero body counts because there's none. It's it's implied that there are. It's hard to imagine that, that nobody dies during any of those car crashes the, or the gang shit at the end. I mean, yeah, but we, you don't see any no on, on screen. screen. Yeah, yeah. So that's the closest we got. So sorry, I just wanted to clarify no, that. I, that's it's good to know. Um. Okay, so th- this score. Uh, Quentin Tarantino specifically loved enough to uh, adapt into Inglorious Bastards. He pulls some of this score and uses it in that. So, that's, yeah, that's pretty sick. That's fucking and I wild. Obviously, I couldn't make that connection because I've seen Inglorious Bastards, but I never saw the entity, so I don't really know where it shows up. But I'll have and to I haven't seen Inglorious Bastards in long enough period of time that I remember specifically. It can't be that driving uh, industrial shit, could it? I mean, I don't know. That's the most distinct part of the soundtrack. It really is. If you pulled, yeah, if Tarantino watched this and loved the score enough to use it, it'd be weird that if he used any any other part of it. Yeah, but who knows? Um, so, in some sort of in in a casting perspective, Jane Fonda, Bette Midler, and Sally Field were all sought uh, after for the role that was initially or that was eventually played by Barbara Hershey. And I feel like uh, dear Lord, Bette Midler. (laughs) 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 The fuck does that look like? That's yeah. horrifying. uh, Oh my God. (laughs) 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 No. That would be. Just breaks out into song and dance. (laughs) Weird. I will not be raped today. (laughs) (laughs) That would be. That'd be a silly little movie. A, A rapey horror musical. Yeah. Something for everyone. <laughs> the whole family, exactly. So both George Coe, who played Dr. Weber, and Alex Rocco, who played Jerry, they both died on the same day, July 18th, 2015. Yeah, I, I had very few things in my trivia. That was one of them. That's a very strange one. Ooh, it's, it, it's almost like the, the movie. It's one of those cursed films. Yeah. Spooky. That is, uh, that is right. Um... Okay. Well, I mean, I was going to talk more about the the actual real story, but I feel like I've talked uh, enough about it throughout the podcast that I don't really have to go into further details other than to say that, you know, obviously the book is based off of her experience. Um, the person, the author that wrote the book lost contact with her and last he heard that she had moved to Texas and that she had passed away. But right before his final contact with her, he said, she said exactly what the film says at the end, which is that the encounters persist, but are definitely, uh, to a lesser degree to where they're not like ruining her life anymore, but she definitely encounters them still. Uh, and that was his last contact with them. Right. Which, which would imply that somehow there's a spatial connection to the entity in, and and the victim, so, like the like the entity is somehow connected to the surroundings, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. absolutely. That's interesting. I, I would like to read more about the backstory, the actual true story of what happened, and, and the fact that you brought up that this woman was living in complete dereliction when she was, you know, 
you know, when she was discovered by the parapsychologists adds a whole nother a whole nother dimension to this that to me is insane. So I mean, there's more there's more like boring paranormal bullshit uh, out there if anyone's interested. But the parapsychologist that I watched a documentary on said when he initially went over there, they they really didn't think there was anything to it. Um, uh, but event, but gradually things got like weirder and weirder over there. Um, you know, and it just is up to, you know, orbs don't thrill me. <laughs> so catching like an orb on camera isn't that, that, that doesn't fucking get my Johnny going. <laughs> yeah. But they, they photographed some orbs. The, the scene where all the, the neon green lights were like cascading across the room. That's, that's a real that's based on his real testimony that um, when he was there and they set up shop that that was something that occurred uh, regularly and bright enough to illuminate the room that was in total darkness to where you could see like the faces in the room. Um, and he says if this was had anything to do with it, any sort of group psychosis, at one point they had 20 to 30 UCLA students crammed into this fucking derelict house. Um, all observing this shit and for what it's worth, they all claim to have seen the same shit. So, so yeah, it, it, it kind of implies again with her moving away to that this, this was a haunted house and somehow the entity was able to, you know, if, if they did research her outside of the house, it, it had, it had a connection to the house, but was able to still, you know, travel beyond it, but it would, affect its its overall power over whoever it was possessing or, or victimizing or whatever. I don't know. We're getting off a t- on a tangent on this, but what I wanted to say too real quick before we move on is we didn't talk about how this was released at the same time as Poltergeist. So it, I feel oh, like wow. there was a certain zeitgeist of the time um, that um, created in the collective consciousness apparently a need for poltergeist related paranormal uh cinema yeah absolutely well, and, and also could um indicate why this movie maybe it's kind of like the same way that you know near dark didn't get the recognition it did at the time because it was well, you know really, right it was released in the shadow of what was uh, a more you know mainstream accepted critically accepted movie of the genre maybe the same thing happened with the entity because the pol- you know poltergeist is, was a smash hit and you know it was genre redefining in a lot of ways so who knows maybe you know it was an unfortunate you know bad timing sort of thing for its release yeah absolutely well, and also just the fact that it is it's a very it's it's the 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 subject matter and the portrayal of what's happening is, is very, very jarring and, and hard to watch. It's very intense. Um, so it's, it's hard to, I think, catapult on a ghost rape movie into any sort of mainstream success, you know, whereas older guys has enough, you know, crazy like bells and whistles going on and you know so much like variation in the different ways that the poltergeist um haunt the house that it's like it's like this wild roller coaster ride you know yeah, it's like a family friendly <laughs> horror movie uh in a lot yeah. of ways yeah 
Although so, I would love to see Stan Winston put together a chest piece of Craig T. Nelson and seeing his nipples get sucked over uh, <laughs> one of those prosthetic chest pieces would really, really just be one of my favorite things. No, Coach. I don't want to see Coach's nipples get sucked. What's the, who's the dumbass like assistant? What was his name? <laughs> oh, Luther. Was it Lu- no? Not Luther was the old. That was the uh, older guy, like the dumbass, like blonde guy. Oh yeah, fucking uh, God! What, what's his name? Hang on, I'm gonna, I want to look this. Play up the quick. Jeopardy music. Yeah, that guy. He was like the Woody Harrelson. He was like the Woody of Coach. He was. I um, was it, it like was... Dobson or something? Dauber. Dauber. So you're you're telling me Dauber gets killed in a drunk driving accident and comes back to suck Craig T. Nelson's nipples and you don't <laughs> you don't want to see that for some reason? Sell that one to Hollywood. I would love to. Or get fucking Jerry Van Dyke sucking a nipple. That would be great too. <laughs> or both of them on both. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, they were one. they were both undulating. So <laughs> one on each nipple. Well, so she describes uh, obviously being raped and the and two smaller entities holding her legs apart. That's the most that might be the most descri- the most terrifying description in the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe. Yeah. Craig T. Nelson could get somehow uh, <laughs> sexually assaulted in that same similar manner. Um, uh, I don't know, I don't I, know how to segue I, out of Craig T. Nelson getting sexually assaulted. Uh, do you have any other trivia that you'd like to do? Um, this has gotten off the rails. Yeah, let's not let's not assault our audience anymore. No, with, with well, this, if they're the, still listening. Then uh, they're gluttons for punishment anyway. No, I got I got it. I think we should tie uh, tie this one off. Let's tie a ribbon on this on this. Uh... <laughs> okay. okay so- <laughs> Are you, you want me to do it? Are you doing it? No, you, you do it. Okay. Sorry. No, I know. I kind of, I, I kind of implied that I was going to do it, but this is, <laughs> yo, this is your, this is your dog and pony show. This so. is my dog and pony show. Um, in terms of a rating, uh, where do you put this on the midnight clock? I mean, it's, it's got some pretty graphic rape scenes, so I, it's after midnight for sure. I put 3 a.m. I put pretty ooh. late. Okay, all right. Yeah, maybe two. Yeah, two. Yeah. It, I, it, that's, is, it is uh, graphic beyond words. I mean, it is, like, very graphic. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a past midnight movie for sure. What kind of iconography would you like to represent our final rating? Hmm... Let's see. Uh, I don't know. Out of lightning hands? Lightning hands? I didn't come up with anything, so uh, this really is a discussion. Um, I like lightning hands. Uh, uh, undulating uh, nipples? Uh, <laughs> undulating nipples, Invisibly yeah. sucked nipples? Um, uh, let's go out. Let's, how let's about, go how out. Jerry, uh, how about a, uh, a gold... A gold piece sitting on a bed of chest... Greasy chest hair. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's go with that. All right. Out of how many greasy Jerry's do you give (laughs) this fucking thing? Out of five. I give it three and a half. 
I'm shocked. Like your um, critical analysis led me to believe that you didn't uh, you didn't like it as much as that. No, I liked it just fine. I mean, wow. Okay, good. Um, I'll give it four. Four greasy Jerry's. Yeah, I mean, I and when I, I say this, I keep in mind like ratings I've given for other movies. So I think the lowest rating movies I've the lowest rated movie I've given thus far is Waterworld. I enjoyed this more than Waterworld, and I gave that like a two and a half. Well, you gave Falling so, Down a two and a half. Yeah, I mean, but that was one of those things too where yeah, I enjoyed this more than that as well. Okay. I probably should. I probably should. You know, I told you. Upon re- repeat watches and after our discussion, I would, I, I think I would give Falling Down a higher score. I was, sh- I we didn't discuss it, but I was shocked at how low you had Falling Down. I was like, yeah. wow. I think after, if I watch it again after our assessment, I would give it at least a three. So it's definitely I like it better than Waterworld, but not as much as this. So there you go. Good as a, as a litmus. So as we head is the home stretch. Uh, we have one more movie in this season before we revamp and come out with a second season with new delights, um, proverbial delights. Uh, what is our final movie of the season? Yeah, it's, it's time to put a party hat on this season. Good. We've um, had some. It's my bad. I picked two very heavy subjects in a row. Well, guess what, buddy? We're going to end on. Uh, an even even more uh, triggering. What the fuck? Uh, you said party hats. I was like ready for like weekend at Birdies or something. <laughs> we should do weekend at Birdies. Uh, uh, two. We can't do one. Yeah, this is we're gonna we're gonna make sure that this season goes down like a lead balloon, a Led Zeppelin God on damn, fire. I'm so worried now. So this is the thing. I I was really excited. Because I had one movie planned out. I was like, oh, dude, we got to do it. We got to end it on this one. But after our discussion, and, you know, not to get too, you know, long winded into what our second season may look like, but we have had a discussion about, you know, centering uh, our kickoff around Halloween and Halloween movies, scary movies specifically. I know we, we talk about a lot of scary movies, but specifically for the new season, somehow pivoting around just Halloween related movies. So I was like, after I thought about that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to save this one because it's, it is in that genre of it's, it's another horror movie. Okay. But I thought after this is, I thought there's a better movie that we could end this on for a number of reasons. And that is per discussions we've had about one director in particular, and also as a kind of foil in a lot of ways to, this movie and and it and the subject that it's talking about. Um, so, what I have chosen for our final movie of this season is a movie called Miss Forty Five. Hmm, I've never even heard of it. Well, I'll tell you what, buddy. The reason why I picked that is because it's an Abel Ferrera movie. Oh, God, and you you're really a- putting me through the fucking ringer here. And you've indicated <laughs> your disdain for Abel Ferreira based off of one movie, and I, I'm I'm like I'm I'm determined is, to turn it. It is the shittiest vampire movie I've ever fucking seen. I fucking, That's fu- I hate okay. that movie. Well, I'm going to turn it around on old Abel because I tell you what, you're really missing out on this guy's filmography because. Well, I this, told you that I liked King of New York. 
Right. And but King of New York is one of his more polished Hollywood friendly movies. So you need to dig back further into his catalog and, and really. Well, see, I think I really, went too far in the avant garde direction because the addiction I, I fucking hated. But um, and I will say in many ways that that movie this again, this is me. I'm bringing you back around to to reassess what this guy is all about. So. All right. Uh, so we're going to watch Miss 45. I promise to Miss, keep an open mind. I think you will like it a lot. Miss 45. And also, like I said, to piggyback on how it relates to this movie, it's a rape revenge movie. And it is probably the best one that I have ever seen. It is so fucking good. And it goes, it harkens back to these movies that I love, which is these gritty New York exploitation-y type movies. I, I, you know, and, and, and from us talking about Maniac and Maniac Cop and, you know, things like that. I do have a soft spot for that stuff. And Abel Ferreira is one of those directors that, along with like Larry Cohen and Lustig, really is able to tap into that that essence very well. And, you know, he does it really good with Miss 45. I think he did it well with, you know, a little more sloppy and a little more jankily with Driller Killer. He did it really well with uh, Bad Lieutenant. And then, you know, he does it well when he with his bigger production numbers like King of New York and, and, and such. So we're going to watch Miss 45 and you're going to like it, buddy. God. OK, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm keeping an open mind. But if this, this is it, like this is it, like if this doesn't fucking wow me, then I'm off the Ferrero train. And I haven't seen Bad Lieutenant yet. And I want to see a, na- a naked Harvey Keitel. And I never will because this will fucking sour me. I'm telling you what, man. I'm hot. I'm hot now. <laughs> I'm telling you what. I'll put dollars to donuts that this will turn you around on Abel Ferreira. And then you will just glide right into watching with, with fresh, newborn, cinema file eyes. I want uh, to. The rest of his, the rest of his catalog. Okay. okay. I'll keep it open. So we're gonna, like I said, that's how we're going to end this with on a high note. This is uh, how we're going to put a party hat on this. Also, to me, it's, it's fitting because... You know, uh, it really is. It's 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 such a uh, Italian chef kissy fingers nod to, you know, uh, a woman, you know, really giving it to her fucking um, victimizers. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this movie. It's one of my favorite movies, actually. I, I, I hold your opinion in high regard. I will watch it. It has one. Oh, it I has one of the sick, watch it, but. It, yeah, you have to watch it. It has one of the sickest, most epic endings too. Okay. Oh, dude, if I'm not asleep so by then, I'm sorry. Right. I don't mean to shit. I'm going to watch it, and I'm sure I will enjoy it. Yeah, you're gonna fucking like it. <laughs> It'll be great. Okay. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by Fog. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you on the other side. Bungholes. That was the sound. Oh, jeez. Uh, scary. Okay.
Yeah.